Welcome to the What We Talked About in Class podcast, brought to you from the campus of Wayne Community College in Goldsboro, North Carolina, sponsored by the Foundation of Wayne Community College. All right, I'm going to jump back into HRM and do the second part of the lecture, and this will wrap up Chapter 11. Um, as we talked about on Wednesday, there's a lot of facets to human resources. It's a multifaceted thing. And I showed you kind of an umbrella, remember that, of all the different things that go under human resources. And that was not all inclusive of everything that HR does. HR is very much uh, the heartbeat of an organization. They, they keep that organization going. Uh, and management, you could say, is, is the brains of the organization. Uh, I'm not sure that's always the case, but <laughs> they, they, for all intents and purposes, symbolize the brains or the, the movement of the organization, and the, the employees represent the, the limbs. You know, they, they're actually getting the job done and making things happen. So, um, so I guess we've left out the soul. Who is the soul of the organization? I guess all the stakeholders. Is that what it is? Um, anyway, we're going to jump back and kind of do a quick re recap. We talked about briefly these waves that HR has gone through. Um, as the first wave came around, it was basically focused on the administrative processes of HR. It was very process-oriented, onboarding, filling out paperwork, training, compliance. The second wave, we got into more diverse areas of HR like compensation, learning, communication, and sourcing. Wave three, we've been focused on strategy. How does HR fit into the overall business strategy? And people realized how crucial HR is. Um, a great example is holiday hiring. So right now we're, we just entered the, 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 I guess the main path of the holiday shopping season. And what we see is that uh, you've got HR having to beef up uh, human resources during this time. Does Starbucks hire any temporary help for the holidays? I don't know if they do or not. Right. Yeah. Okay. So you have a floater that comes over. Okay. I know that the pickle plant hires as the harvest season's coming in, right? So they, they add, I would guess, 30, 50 people, right? Something like that to help with that time. And then when that season dies off, those people kind of go away. And I've talked to some people that have worked at the plant before, and they say that um, some of these people just keep come back every year. And they only work during this four to six month window of the year and then they're off you know they just come back to help during that time i know the farm definitely does this right you have seasonal workers that come in and they work during the harvest season then you're not they're not on your payroll during that time right uh and so this fourth wave the last wave um hr continues to be a business or a partner to the business but it also has become a competitive practice for responding to external business conditions if you, you see this in very competitive business environments um, if i've got a hot tech company and I'm offering this type of compensation package with these types of benefits, you better believe that if I'm drawing a lot of talent because they want to do that, other companies are looking at that and say, oh, we can, we can also be competitive. We can also draw talent to us. Um, and it is very much in the company's interest to draw highly qualified, good employees because life is so much better and less painful if you've got quality employees. You're looking at less turnover, less absenteeism, higher productivity, um, uh, higher employee morale. It's just life is so much better if you bring the right people in 
Uh, and so you want to attract good people. If you have very unattractive benefits and pay, you're not going to attract top talent. Uh, people are going to look at your organization and say, you know what, I can do better over there, so I'm going to go talk to these people over there. So there is a competitive environment uh, for that talent. And so HR in the fourth wave is looking at how can we maintain our competitive advantage through our people. Uh, we talked about human capital and compliance. not going to go into all that. Um, we, we talked uh, for some time on these different uh, legal or, or regulations that protect people from a legal standpoint. Talked a little bit about like the uh, Family Medical Leave Act, how you do have protections in place. However, and there's, a, there's an asterisk by this, um, just know that because something is legal or illegal doesn't mean that employers will always comply with that. And there's been many, many cases throughout recent history and, and definitely on the longer historical outlook where employers have violated workers' rights or done something that was unconscionable. Um, as an example, when I started at Walmart, Walmart was going through a very uh, lengthy and uh, problematic lawsuit with this class action of women who were suing the company to say that Walmart does not promote women proportional to men, and so they discriminated against you know, female employees. Um, is that true? Probably. And so Walmart has has had to respond to that and make adjustments. How did they respond to it? When I started, they told me that I would be the last person to get promoted in my class of managers simply because I was a white male and they were looking to promote uh, minorities and females. And so it's not to Walmart, it's, they're not looking at it from a merit standpoint. They're looking at it, does this person fit a profile that we want to have uh, in management, you know, so we can be seen as more diverse. It's all about the optics. It doesn't matter about the merit or the, 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 the effort a person puts in. And so, like, that was, you know, if any type of discrimination is discouraging. You don't want to hear that your company that you've just invested time in is going to discriminate against you for any reason. So uh, I, didn't, I didn't really care for that, you know. And so... Uh, discrimination in any form is, is very uh, painful. And just be prepared, though. You will probably at some point in your career cease discrimination either against yourself or another uh, employee in some way. And then you'll wake up and say, oh, wait, we talked about this in business class. It's illegal for them to discriminate against this person for this reason, but they're doing it. And they may call it something else. They may say, oh, we're not discriminating because of this. We're, do we're doing it because of that. You know, but... I felt like Walmart, the, it, it, when I say Walmart, it was the people that work there. There's definitely retaliation that happens in the workplace. It would be naive of me to, or it'd actually be uh, doing you a disservice to not say that because people are vindictive. They hold grudges. If a manager doesn't like you, you're going you're gonna to feel that, right? I mean, do we agree or disagree with that? You agree? Uh, have you seen anything like that on the job anywhere in the past or have heard people talk about it in the past? Let's use the, have you heard people talk about like a manager doesn't like me or a manager doesn't like this person and you can see some favoritism. Has anybody ever, have you experienced with that or seen that? You have seen that? Okay. Yeah, I mean, these are, nat you know, the parallels between business and personal life, once again, like when we were in school, there were cliques, right? You know, you had cool kids, you had like science geeks, you know, all these cliches, right, that you see in a 
high school movie. Those exist. You know, they're, they're reflections of reality. And in the workplace, you also have cliques. You also have people that are favorites, people that are perceived as not being favorites and things like that. And so uh, it's important to have an awareness of these things and to try to uh, mitigate that or manage that and not participate in that, in that type of uh, workplace environment. Um, it, it can be detrimental to, to, to individuals. So, All right, so performance management. Uh, we're talking about these four metrics that managers looked at are these questions they ask that are revelatory. They really get to the heart of uh, the matter because it's easy to just check a box and move somebody down the street on an evaluation. But if you want to get honest about evaluation, these four questions really do, I think, talk about you know somebody or they identify how somebody really is perceived. So, um, so given the, just once again, given what I know of this person's performance, if it were my money, I would award this person the highest possible compensation increase in bonus. How you answer that question says a lot about how you perceive that employee. If the answer is automatic yes, you feel very confident in this individual. If the if the answer is kind of uh, you know I don't know my own money I don't know if you know that's kind of there's that that lends to there's some problem or perceived issue that you have with that individual, either performance or personal. Given what I know of this person's performance, I would always want him or her on my team. We talked about that dodgeball example of where you pick individuals you know to be on your team. Sometimes okay, there is something just like in business. When you pick people on a dodgeball team in kindergarten, there's two people that you want to pick first, your best friend, right, my buddy, and the best athlete, who's going to perform the best, because you want to win, right? Same thing's true in business, you know. I, so, you know, I know multiple business examples where they hire either a best friend or family member, regardless if they're competent to do the job, and they'll bring that person in and pay them, you know, an exorbitant salary in relation to everybody else, and... You know, that is, that's very revealing. You know, uh, they pick people. Uh, there is this thing on merit. Yeah, I want somebody that's going to perform well. I pick this individual. But they also pick on personal preferences. We are human. So this person is at risk for low performance. How do you feel about that question? Well, you know, once again, this is going to reveal how I feel. If, if somebody is performing well, you mean it's an automatic no. This person is ready for promotion today. How does that question feel? So these are really a good set of questions uh, to, to ask, you know, and I think they're very revealing. What do you guys think? Do you think this is a good way to get to the heart of how somebody feels about an individual? Like, I guess the angle they're going at with is that sometimes evaluations are not uh, as transparent as we want them to be. You know, it's easy to, like, kind of check boxes, you know, and not really put a lot of thought into it. But if you ask these questions, you want honest feedback – that that's very revelatory. You know that gives a lot of uh, that, that that really sheds light on how the person is really perceived. So, human resource management. This is new content. Role in establishing pay for performance is that HR must engage business leadership to establish the following elements of the framework. Define the organization's pay philosophy. What does that mean? Are we wanting to pay people at or above market rates? Do we want to pay people a little less than everybody else? I mean, what? What, is, what goes beyond monetary compensation? What type of benefits do we want to offer? I saw something last night on social media that said McDonald's is now at this one location. They said they, they listed as a benefit free, what was it? They get free work attire. Some jobs make you buy 
your uniform, did you have to buy something at Starbucks? No. Do you have to buy any type of uniform at the pickle company? No. Yeah, some jobs, though, make their employees buy, like, you know, like some jobs you start and you get three polo shirts with the logo on it, and you have to pay those out of your first check. And so they're, you know, $10 or $12 a piece, and the employee has to buy, you know. That's, that's a little crazy, you know, but I get it. But, you know, you're kind of making money off your employees by making them buy this. Um, people that look at regulation and rules set by the government and turn their nose up at it and hate it, I understand that. But guess what? We well, guess some of the things we did without regulation. Back in the day when we had mining companies, mining was really prevalent. It's still, you know, still out there, but it's not as big as it was back then. People used to pay people money in mining company coins. So I would create if I owned Ryan's Mining Company, I would create Ryan's Mining Company dollars, and I would pay my people in Ryan's Mining Company dollars, and they could only use those to pay rent and to pay at, the, at my houses and to use it at the general store that I owned. So you're, keep, you're creating a closed economy where those dollars stay internal and you're making, you're making money off your people, basically, because you're forcing them to use that money internally. You know? uh, that is the kind of things that happen when you don't have regulation to protect, to protect workers. So review the, review the financial impacts of creating pay for performance changes. How much differentiation of performance will we have? What is the cost of doing this? So if we decide we're going to switch the model to pay for performance, would that be a good thing or a bad thing from a financial standpoint? Uh, I'll say that most of the changes I see big companies do are for the benefit of the company, not the employees. Most of the big changes I see happen. So like when I look at a company that's doing a big move that involves employees, I look at it, try to look at it objectively, but then I come to the determination they're doing this because it's going to save them money. They're going to benefit, not the employees. So like a company will say, hey, we're giving employees raises. And you think, great. But when you look at what's really happening, you might get a raise, but you might work five hours less a week. You know? So, yeah, we're going to give you a 10-cent raise or 20-cent raise or whatever, but we're going to trim payroll by, you know, on average, you're going to notice that instead of working a 40-hour week, you might work a 35-hour week. So on the net you're going to lose money, you know? And so stuff like that happens all the time. Identify any gaps that exist in the current process. If any of the hu current human resources and compensation policies conflict with paper for performance, they should be reviewed and changed. Update compensation processes with new pay for performance elements. This includes the design of a merit matrix that ties employee annual pay increases to performance. Other areas of focus should be the design of a short-term bonus matrix and a long-term bonus pay-for-performance strategy. In other words, how does performance drive the bonus payout? What is the differential or multiplier for each level? And then lastly, communicate and train managers and employees on the pay-for-performance philosophy and process changes. Explain the changes in the context of overall culture of the organization. This is a long-term investment in talent and performance. I had a friend that worked for U.S. Cellular for several years. Guy made a lot of money working for U.S. Cellular. Um, you know, I would speculate his annual salary was somewhere between seventy and ninety thousand dollars a year. Um, he sold cell phones for a while, then went to become a manager at a location, and you know he would get bonus checks. I don't want to exaggerate; somewhere between ten and twenty thousand dollars at a time. I mean, it was big. He was making big money, uh, and the catch was he had worked six days a week. You know, so you're there, you're always there all the time. And it just burned him out. I mean, you think, you know, you think, okay, $90,000, I can work six days a week. 
But after you do that for a couple of years, just getting up and having to go right back to work for six more days in a row over and over and over again, it beats you to death. I mean, and so it's just like that 90,000 just shrinks. Eventually he let it go. He's like, look, man, it's just not sustainable. I can't do it for 20 years. I just can't do it. You know, and it really like puts things in perspective. You know, why are you working? You're working to earn money so you can have a good quality of life. But when your work is dominated your life, you know, you're spending 10, 12 hours a day, six days a week at a job. Where's the quality of life at? You know, like, I mean, and I used to work a 50 hour work week when I was at Walmart and I would get to this point where your burnout sets in. You could take vacation for a week and you would not recover. Like if you've worked for a year doing 50 hours a week and then you go take a week off, you come right back in and you're still in that burnout phase. You know what I mean? Like other countries have very lucr- or like very luxurious vacation packages as an example. Like some, some uh, countries have like everybody gets a month off throughout the year like here and there. Uh, am I suggesting we go to that? I don't know. I do think we need to go to a four-day work week that just needs to become a thing. Like that way you'll have a lot. I think people have a lot more balance in their life if you work four days, whatever days of the week they are. And like, I know a lot of people that are working four tens, for example, they work Monday through Thursday, 10 hours. And then Friday, they're off Saturday and Sunday. That I think we need to get to that model. I think it would improve a lot of morale and, and give people time to, to live their life and breathe a little bit. So any comments on any of this? All right. So Let's talk about total reward strategy. Six elements of the total reward strategy that collectively define an organization's strategy to attract, motivate, retain, and engage employees. So there's the six elements we want to talk about. These are not all inclusive, but the main category is compensation. What's that paycheck look like? That's a, that's a, that's the first one. Benefits. That's a big one. You know, like when I was very early twenties, my mom said, "You got to get a job with health insurance." Like she's stressed, you gotta get a job with health insurance. It's like, and it's a big deal. Like my wife for the last, we've been together for almost 20 years. We've been married for, I guess, 16, 17 years now. And for the first 15 years of that, she was on my health insurance. I was paying like $400 a month for her health insurance. That's a lot of money. I mean, and it was like, just just boomed. I mean, for, I mean every month. So do the math on that. Four hundred a month. So ten months is four grand. That's forty-eight hundred dollars a year times ten years. That's forty-eight thousand dollars. Divided in half, added two. That's seventy-two grand of missed value just because of health insurance. So I've I've contributed roughly seventy-two thousand dollars to her health insurance over the past uh, fifteen years. She finally got a job with health insurance, and guess what? I dropped her off my policy, and now. That extra $354 is going to my paycheck. Uh, it's all good, but you can see how much of a big deal that is. You know, if one partner in a family does not have health insurance and the other partner has to carry them, that's a very expensive thing. So that's an attractive benefit. And even the crazy thing, health insurance is just a racket all the way around. I mean, if he wants to refute that, I'm fine to talk to him about it. But I don't think so many people would refute that because well, I pay right now roughly $250 a month for health vision dental for myself and my kids wayne is paying something like between 700 a thousand dollars a month on their end they pay the line share and that's a benefit you know i get that as a benefit but does my family need a thousand dollars worth of insurance a month for me and my kids you know like that seems 
insane to me. Like you're paying a thousand dollars a month in, in value lost. So I, I just feel like there could, there's got to be a better way to do this. You know, um, have you, you guys had experience with this? I mean, it's just it's just painful all around. Does your farm have to self purchase health insurance or? You don't think so? Okay. Your dad has, he's got another job, right? Yeah. So he gets provided through that, yeah. It's, you know. My mom teaches school. Okay, well, there you go. Yeah, that helps. Yeah. So it's, it's just, and every stage of life, I talk to people that are much older than me that are on uh, Medicare. That's also problematic, you know. I mean, <laughs> so it's just, I think my mom, she just converted to Medicare, and she's, she's got kicked off her state plan because of that. And her premium is going to go up something around 120 to 150 a month. And she has a limited income. I mean, she's retired, you know. So that's just like you're getting a $120 penalty for, you know, for, for turning a year older, basically. So um, work-life effectiveness, that's another benefit. I like, once again, you know, if you're taking a job and you're going to be there 60 hours a week, what kind of quality of life are you really going to have? Like, I mean, you know, my kids love them to death, but they can be overwhelming at times. They just keep coming at you. And you just need, sometimes you need space to breathe. And so if, you're, if your work is consuming 80% of your waking hours, uh, how, you know, can you cope when you get home with all the other things you've got in your life, family, other responsibilities, things like that? Recognition, formal or informal programs that acknowledge or give special attention to employees' actions, efforts, behavior, or performance and support business strategy by reinforcing behavior. Be real. Does recognition make a difference to you guys? If somebody gave you a certificate and said, we appreciate you, does that matter or not? If it, I mean, I'm not knocking. I just want to get a reaction. What do you guys think? Recognition. Does it, does it, does it mean anything? <clears throat> so, like... Let's say you get. Let's say there's a lot more transparency, and say you apply for a job, and they say, "Well, just so you know, in two years we're going to give you a certificate to recognize you for being here for two years." Does that motivate you in any way, or give you any kind of morale boost? It does. What do you think? Not really. No, John. Not really. No. I have kind of a. I don't know. Recognition is good. You know, it's nice to get a piece of paper or a a plaque or award. But does it qualitatively change your life? Not really. You know, like, I would rather have pay than recognition. You know, like, pay me more. If you recognize that I'm doing a good job, pay me more. You know, that's, that's where I'm at. Performance management, the alignment of the organizational team and individual effort toward the achievement of business goals and organizational success. Performance management includes establishing expectations, skill, demonstration, uh, assessment, feedback, and continuous improvement. And then lastly, talent development. How can you make me better? You know, uh, one thing that Wayne makes us do is every year we have to have 30 hours of professional development. That's, that sounds like a lot, but there's a lot of things that go into that. Meetings, committee work, any type of uh, extracurricular learning activity. Right now I'm taking a class on um, de like designing student-centric uh, online classes through an organization called AQ and ACE. And that, that class is uh, basically going to give me probably 15 hours of extra pro uh, professional development. So there's a lot of professional development opportunities. And all those opportunities ultimately lead to me having more knowledge and skills uh, that I can draw from in the future. So talent development is a part of that. 
When people look at compensation, though, or the elements of uh, rewards, compensation is the big one, right? What's that paycheck look like? And if that's not right, employees are going to feel this equity issue very quickly. They're going to feel like, you know, if I'm working for $10 an hour and you're making $1,000 an hour off of me, something doesn't work there, you know? Like, if I'm, if I'm working for you guys and you're paying me $100 an hour and I can take that $100 in effort and you're making 1000 that feels more fair, right? So employees are not stupid. They know. They figure these things out that there needs to be some uh, equity there. And so... Uh, you, what you've seen over the past several decades is U.S. productivity go up, but pay has remained flat. And so, in fact, I was talking about this earlier this week. Uh, I don't have the chart handy, but I'll draw it very basically. So, over the past four decades, it, wages have done this. Productivity, there's a critical date, 1971, and I can talk about that, where productivity took off, uh, and the metric is something like, there's about a 120% gap, 120, 130% gap between productivity and pay increases. If pay had kept up with productivity, we all would be making 120 to 130% more than we do now, so double. And, you know, people would like freak out, you know, from the, the capitalistic side or the capitalists would freak out if, if we suggested, oh, everybody should make double. But that's not so crazy. What's, what's minimum wage right now? 725? What are they talking about making minimum wage? 15 bucks. What's that? Double? So, you know, like, seven, how long has minimum wage been 7.25? 10 years? Something like that? Yeah, so, like, you know, in this decade right here, there's been a huge influx in productivity, but not a huge influx in pay. Um, keep in mind, I'm a capitalist. I get, I mean, I'm, if I open a business, I'm there to make money. I get all these angles. But... I'm not like in favor of doing things that are not equitable where, you know, if I'm making a million dollars a year and my employees are making $20,000 a year, there's something wrong with that, you know? Like there, there needs to be more, like I should be giving out at least a healthy, uh, healthy bonus at Christmas or something to, to kind of go with that inequity. Questions, comments on that? And so this is kind of how the whole picture comes together, the things we've talked about. You've got organizational culture, business strategy and human resource strategy this uh, within that circle you've got the total reward strategy so those six metrics we just talked about compensation benefit work-life balance performance and recognition develop uh, development and career opportunities that works to attract motivate and regain uh, retain employees and then we look at satisfaction how how well do the employees like to be here and that really does correlate to results if you've got people that love your organization, they feel like they're valued, they're paid like they're valued, uh, what ends up happening is they stay and you have good outcomes. If you have people that are constantly looking for the door because they don't feel valued, that hurts outcomes. And so um, I, I see it, I've seen it many times. Like I've seen organizations push away talented people because they didn't pay them equitably and fairly and they end up going to work somewhere else, you know. And so uh, if you want to retain good people who are going to give you good results, you've got to attract and, and pay them equitably. So questions on any of that? All right, so hiring top-level executives, steps in the process. You've got to anticipate the needs, specify the job, and develop a pool. Uh, assess the candidates, 
hire the choice, and integrate the new hire. So there's several different practices. I'm not going to go over each one, but basically there's some good practices and poor practices and some challenges uh, to attracting top-level management. Um, I'm, I guess I'm not surprised, but it's just fascinating how much interest there is at top-level management. Uh, we recently uh, opened up a position here for the president of Wayne Community College, and it was something like 70 to 100 plus people applied for it. That's a lot of people to apply for a top-level executive leadership position. They recently brought five of the top candidates onto campus. One of them was already here, Dr. Pfeiffer. Um, and of those people, some of them were coming from, I think New Mexico was one of them. I think one of them was coming from Chicago. So all over the United States to come here to Wayne County, North Carolina. So there is a hunger, desire for top-level uh, executive positions. Uh, and so I think right now in this environment we're in, uh, it's definitely a... Uh, there, you know, sometimes in the housing market, sometimes it'll be a seller's market and a buyer's market. Right now, it's a, uh, it's a buyer's market, meaning in the job market, meaning that there's a ton of opportunities for people that want jobs. Uh, so uh, if you, I know you guys are fixing to get into career stuff. Be on the lookout. This is a good time. One thing that young people have going for them is that there's this huge block of baby boomers that are retiring. They, are, they, they have no choice. They get to a point where they just... I'm done. You know, once you hit 70, it's like, okay, do I really want to be working at 70? Uh, and so as this baby boomer block retires out, it's going to leave this block of positions open that all the Gen Xers, me, kind of can move up into. And then right behind that is all the millennial Gen Ys, you know. And so it does, there is this cycle that we're going through. And um, there's just, I think there's going to be a tremendous amount of opportunity in the next 10 years. So feel good about the job market that you're in, entering all right, so this does wrap up the lecture on Chapter 11 with uh, talking about hiring executive leadership. Does anybody have any questions about anything we talked about in the HR chapter? Comments, ideas? Uh, so just know from now on when you go to a job and you deal with HR, uh, there is an element to it that you know, you'll be able to identify some of these elements and say, oh, I'm aware of what HR does. I know that you guys do so much more than having me sign some paperwork. There's a lot that goes into it. So. All right, guys, I appreciate your time. We're a little ahead schedule. That's fine with me. You guys have a safe and warm weekend, and we'll pick it back up on Monday, okay? See you later.